Hello, travelers. This is Paula Schmidt, and welcome to my theater of the mind, Evening's Kingdom. Today's guest is my very dear friend, Baker Manning of Below Deck fame. She is also a diva dance extraordinaire and author of the Yacht Job Handbook. In our conversation, we cover so much ground. How mourning the loss of her father led her into a life of adventure and world travel, and thrill-seeking became soul-seeking. Plant medicine, music as medicine, and how Baker unlocked her greatest superpower, joy. Baker, welcome to Evening's Kingdom. Thank you, thanks for having me. <laughs> Over the years, something you and I have always talked about is freedom. You are one of the most free-spirited, open-hearted, adventurous, entrepreneurial people I've ever met. You've described your childhood and adolescence as pretty normal, with the normal expectations, without much focus beyond the next party. But that all changed when you lost your father. You were very close, and he primarily raised you. You were 20 years old. If you feel comfortable, can you talk about what happened next? After my dad died, it kind of changed everything for me. And for the first time, I actually did start thinking about the future. And I realized that I had a lot more options than I had thought before. Because as you mentioned, my dad primarily raised me whenever I was really young. He and my mom got a divorce and he, from then on, had full custody he supported us, put us through school. And my mom has always been a big part of my life, but my dad was the one calling the shots. He was the boss. I reported back to him whether anything was good or bad. It was like I had to report back to my dad. And I was on a path that was laid out for me that I was perfectly content to be on. Going to school, having a great time doing that. And I figured after school, I would just get some kind of job, hopefully make a lot of money, do the family thing. And I really didn't give it much thought. And I wasn't thinking outside the box. But when my dad died, I realized that I was in charge, <laughs> which was a little terrifying, but also very exhilarating because I suddenly had a bajillion, quadrillion different paths I could take if I wanted because there's nobody to tell me that I couldn't. <laughs> and so, yeah, in a strange way, when he died, it, I gained a lot of freedom um, to make my own decisions. I also gained a lot of emotional baggage, which <laughs> would I, I would take with me throughout my travels. But I did start to really consider what I wanted to do. And started to think outside the box. And I had already at that time gotten really into traveling. I guess I caught the travel bug, as they say. So I started to kind of map out some things I wanted to do. Me and my roommate, my best friend, Abby, at the time, she and I had this, this great plan, a three-year plan. When we graduated, we wanted to, uh, as I said, 
find the best post-up spots. <laughs> so I wanted to go to a bunch of different places that I heard were awesome and live there for, our plan was six months each. And I wanted them all to be very different. So we wanted to do something in the mountains, something in the islands, something, you know, in a third world country or whatever, and just experience as many different things as I could. And then I was going to hopefully find the perfect place to live for, quote unquote, <laughs> the rest of my life. And the funny thing is, Charleston was not on that list. I was like, get me out of here. Um, and here I am. But, but yeah, so I ended up, I stuck with the plan <laughs> uh, in, a, in a different kind of way. But uh, yeah, Abby bailed on me, unfortunately. But I, has, I was already, you know, committed to the first leg of the of the new plan which was moving to Colorado because I had gone on a snowboarding trip and didn't quite learn how to snowboard but had a little taste of it and I was like I've got to go back and do this and I just loved Colorado for so many reasons and so after college pretty much the day after I was done with my final exam I loaded up my forerunner and I drove out to Colorado and i planned to return to Charleston in four months. I told everybody, I'm just going for the season. I'll be back for the summer. I subleased my room temporarily, but in the end, I didn't come back for like years. <laughs> and, and you were 21 at this point. At this point, I was 21. Yes. Yeah. So my dad died. I was 20. I had some time to think about things. And then by the time I was 21 and I was finished with school, that's when I moved out to Colorado, and that began my my ten year hiatus or my little thrill seeking turned soul seeking journey. And from there, I uh, did Colorado for about a year, Breckenridge, learned how to snowboard, and it was awesome. <laughs> and and just every every adventure then kind of brought me to the next one. I didn't have much of a you know, itinerary or plan after that. But when to Colorado, made friends with uh, Aaron Hodges. Hello, Aaron, you're awesome. And we decided we wanted to move to Argentina based on the fact that we heard that that was the Spanish-speaking country in South America with the hottest men. So <laughs> <laughs> that was our sole decision-making process. Uh, so went there and got my English as a second language teaching or teaching English as a second language certification. So I went there, taught English, learned Spanish. And that was, I mean, I was there for about eight months. So there's a whole lot of other things going on down there and it was awesome. <laughs> and from there, I moved to Lake Tahoe, California. I was an aspiring fitness instructor and but then I also got a summer job working on a boat that was a little paddle boat restaurant bar met a captain who introduced me to the yachting world so after one conversation with him I had a new ambition of getting a job on a yacht <laughs> and eventually made that happen moved down to Florida got my what do you call it STCW is just this little certification. Got a job on a yacht. I did that for about a year and a half. And then I decided it was time to move back to Charleston. I thought I was going to stay put. 
but that all changed after a a dog bite incident (laughs) because I moved back to Charleston. I started to uh, teach Zumba classes and was a dance teacher briefly. And then I got attacked by a pit bull and my entire (laughs) plans for, I guess my entire income stream or whatever you want to call it, that, that was over in a day. And that sent me back to traveling. (laughs) So Anyway, I did some more months of traveling and had the idea to get an RV. So I bought an RV and spent seasons down in Florida, up in New England, drove it to Colorado. I would just get out of Charleston when the weather wasn't good here. (laughs) And yeah, so I was pretty much all over the place. Moved back to Charleston again and then ended up, oh no, after after Colorado, I ended up getting certified to work on private jets. And then that got cut short because then I was asked to be on this reality show below deck. (laughs) And that was the grand finale of my 10 year adventure. And then I finally moved back to Charleston. (laughs) So you stuck to the plan. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The beginning of the plan that just winded its way into this entire uh, wonderful experience. All the ups and downs. I certainly didn't do it gracefully. I made every mistake every step of the way, but I also had the most amazing experiences, met the most amazing people, and I wouldn't change it for the world. And it is, I guess, I don't know if ironic is the word, but my dad passed away, and that was obviously a very traumatic and painful experience, but I guess in the end, it also opened up my life to a lot of different and new experiences. You mentioned how the thrill-seeking became soul-seeking. Yes, yes. So in the beginning of my adventure, 20, 21-year-old me, uh, I was not thinking very deep. I was just more like thrill-seeking adventure with no no higher aspirations. (laughs) I basically based most of my decision-making off of places that could offer the most adventure, the best parties, and the best-looking boys. (laughs) Do you think in any way you were running from feeling the loss of your father with all the travel? I would say that, yes, a part of me was definitely just trying to either numb the pain or distract myself from the true true feelings and and just things I hadn't really dealt with Um, because throughout the whole process of him being sick and then passing away I mean I was I was young when it all started so when you're 14 15 years old you definitely do not have I mean, we, ha- we haven't fully developed emotionally, I think, until we're 25 or something. And not that anybody, not that there's any right way to deal with that kind of thing, but my process was just pushing it away and pretending like everything was okay. Um, and so I, th- I loved the distraction and the excitement of new things. And I'd, I would love that no matter what. I don't think any of that is just because I was trying to run away from 
I guess, the past or the pain. Yeah, and you can be happy and sad at the same time. Yeah. Which I'm realizing, like, you have to learn how to do that the older we get because life is hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And growing up, I, me and my friends grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, and we liked to party. We liked to do hood rat stuff with my friends. And maybe a part of me was trying to numb the pain, but I think the bigger part of me just loves the party. <laughs> and I also do, I, I love traveling. I love new places. I love the excitement, new people, all that. So that would have been a big part of my life either way. But I do think that part of me was either, I was either running from the pain, but I also think I was like misplaced. Uh, I felt like, like after he died, because I, you know, I grew up living with him. And then it's all of a sudden, like, I didn't really have a home anymore. And I was, I'd been living in Charleston. I was kind of over that. So, like I said, I wanted to find the perfect post-up spot and a home. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see what's, what's the rest of the question. How the thrill-seeking became soul-seeking. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, everywhere I went, it was almost like I was reinventing myself. I went, you know, from the sunny beaches of South Carolina to the snowy mountains of Breckenridge and became a snowboard bum or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and then I moved down to the big city, Argentina, third world country, Spanish speaking. And I was a little city slicker, little little South Kakalakian in the cities. And basically I didn't mean, I wasn't setting out for any kind of like personal growth or um, that kind of thing, but it just started to happen. And I actually became aware of it. And I was like, Hey, this is pretty cool. I'm actually learning a lot, growing a lot. I'm actually pretty good at this whole figure it out on my own thing. And it just started to build confidence. And then I feel like I would come back home and it was just like nothing had changed back home, but I was changed. And so that was the, that was when I began to realize like, okay, I think that I'm actually becoming or growing as a person and and my perspective was changing and I was becoming much more adept to dealing with life and to dealing with my own emotions. And I was, as I said, I was in, I was definitely in a lot of pain when I, when I left Charleston after my dad died and I was slowly able to kind of shed some of those layers bit by bit. And it was, so yeah, the thrill-seeking became soul-seeking. And then I went down an entire uh, wormhole. Could you talk more about how you did that and the, the way you were experiencing the pain? Yes. Yeah, so I was just a whole whirlwind of emotions. I think when anybody loses a loved one, obviously there's just naturally just a lot of, you know, pain and sorrow and, and also guilt because you feel like you could have been there more. You should have spent more time with him and just they suffered a lot. And so that's just, that's kind of pain that 
I think everybody experiences. But I had a little extra layer on top of that because I managed to get myself into a nice big pickle right before he died. And actually it was a big pickle. And I had been living in Charleston and basically I got caught with a big old bag of weed, which resulted in me getting arrested, suspended from school, evicted from my house, and banished to Columbia for a semester in my state of disgrace. <laughs> and that was two months before my dad died. So in a very short period of time, my whole world turned upside down. But the last memories I have of my dad is like him bailing me out of jail and him having to drive to Charleston and beg the dean to not expel me from college and meetings with lawyers. And so I just had this whole extra layer of guilt that was really eating away at me. And that was just kind of like a constant, relentless cloud that I just couldn't, couldn't escape for a long time. But I did, I think the first big, uh, call it pivotal moment that I think this is the biggest part of my whole healing process, or at least uh, triggered it, <laughs> um, happened at a music festival. <laughs> and it was probably, I think it was about three months after he passed away. So I didn't have to suffer for too long in this state. But I was taken out of the environment I had been in, which was in Columbia, in the house where my dad died, in my state of disgrace, because I should have been in Charleston. And it was just a constant reminder of, you know, what a failure I was, what a bad daughter I was, how much my life sucked, blah, blah, blah. That was the chatter going on in my head. And I did manage to finagle my way into going to a music festival because, as I said, no one's in charge of me except me now. <laughs> If my dad had been around, I don't think I would have been allowed to go. But I was at a music festival and had on my some of my favorite medicines, music and mushrooms. <laughs> and I just had the most amazing day. And I was sitting there with our friend Genevieve and a few other homies. And we were laughing so hard we were crying. I was watching children play and there's the Bob Marley song. Uh, everything's going to be all right. <laughs> and I literally had tears of laughter streaming down my face. And when they said that line, everything's going to be all right, I just had this like revelation. And this, I realized for the first time I was crying from happiness because I had pretty much, it was the first time in a long time that I had gone probably hours without thinking all those negative thoughts. I was pulled away from my, my ego chatter. And I, I really liked it. <laughs> I was like, I want to stay in this place. And then I realized, oh, wait, I can stay in this place. Like, I don't have to go back to that. And I realized that I had complete control over my thoughts. My mind was just in this habit of going there. Anytime my mind was free to wander, it just went to this dark place. But at this music festival on the wonderful medicine, I escaped it in that dark place. And 
I just had this revelation that I didn't have to be, that it was self-imposed, that I was, I was just really. And you, you can also, you can mourn the loss of someone while still living your life, but it's, it's hard. So many of us struggle with letting ourselves do that. Giving yourself permission to be happy can take decades sometimes. Yes. And what's the word? I was, what's the word when you not beat yourself up, but I was. uh, Self-flagellating? Yeah, but I I was putting myself through pain. Mm, Anyways. Punishing yourself. Yeah, something like that. Well, that makes sense because you felt guilt. And guilt and shame are, are the hardest emotions to feel. Yes, yeah. So even though I couldn't control anything that had happened and any like the situation that I was in, I just, I did have control of my reaction to it and the way I was thinking and what I, how I wanted to get out of it. So having such a good time and being so happy and so many hours go by without even thinking about my current situation, about the fact that my dad died and all the other things that happened. It was very uplifting and I realized I really prefer to be happy than to be sad. And then I realized that I actually had the power to make that choice myself because as much as I can't control what happened in the past, I can't control the situation that I'm in, I could at least control my thoughts and try to keep them positive rather than thinking negative and I could be constructive rather than just dwelling in the past and dwelling on my sorrows. And I made a, a mental decision or whatever you want to call it to anytime I started to beat myself up, I was going to change my thoughts and just figure out what I can do to improve my situation and just do what I had to do to get back to Charleston and back to the life that I wanted to live, the life that I used to live. And it really made a huge difference because of just, just this one like flip of a switch and the wave of a magic wand. And suddenly, of course, I still was dealing with the pain and the sorrow of losing my dad, but I was able to rechannel my emotions and my thoughts of the guilt that I was feeling and turn that into positive actions to move forward. <laughs> the wave of the magic cat. Yes. <laughs> so you, you made that decision or you had that insight while you were there at the festival or was it later as you were processing? Well, it was there at the festival. I, I was sitting there and I was like, you know what? You, you've been beating yourself up over this. And, and really it was, it was the guilt that was, that was really eating away at me. And, and just the fact, as I mentioned, that I, I was banished to Colombia, so I was just living this, this complete different life. So basically, in that moment, I, I made the decision to quit thinking of the past and think towards the future, quit thinking negatively and try to think positively and constructively. And then definitely, I think on the way home is when I really started to like go through a list of things that I could do to actually implement all that. And first one was just work as much as possible, save up as much money as possible so that I could move back to Charleston because that was 
the first step, I think, and and me returning back to normal life and not having that constant reminder. I mean, I, I was not trying to be in Columbia. Loved growing up there, not trying to live there. And I loved Charleston and I wanted to be back with all the friends that I had been with throughout college and I wanted to be back in school. So step one, get back to Charleston. <laughs> step two, stop beating yourself up. <laughs> and just that little, little moment really had a huge impact on me. And it just kind of unlocked this superpower that I didn't know that I had because once you realize that you are in control of your thoughts and that you can make a decision if you want to react negatively or positively, I mean, you can, that's a power that you can unleash for the rest of your life. You and can do anything. Yeah. And, and women especially, we hold ourselves back from that. Yeah. You know? We're not... Um, we're not usually brought up to celebrate and explore that. Which, which brings me to another question. Um, I know, especially in the South, it can be hard to buck expectations and follow your own path. Uh, there's so much pressure on women to conform. For example, you were a debutante, but on your own terms. Where do you think this inner resolve comes from? Have you done things to cultivate that? Is it just your nature? Well, well, first off, although I, was, I went to some debutante balls, I would not consider me a debutante. I'm more of a debut-not. <laughs> you had to do the gloves. And uh, the, oh, yeah. That was a couple you hours. You were a debutante. Uh, I, I rolled up there blasting Lil Wayne and drinking whiskey. So I don't know if I quite fit that mold. But I was a debutante nonetheless. But I like to call myself a debutante. But... um. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, obviously that that is a very traditional, um, I guess, Southern lifestyle or way of thinking is just, yeah, the, I don't know. I don't even know what you can say that. Well, it's, it's for people who are not from here, it's fascinating because it's, it's such a, an old way of life, but it can be incredibly restrictive. Yes. So the whole, the whole point of, the debutante ball is to introduce your daughter coming of age into society so that she finds a nice successful husband or a reputable husband or whatever. I don't know. Um, it is very old fashioned. And honestly, the way I was brought up living, you know, with my dad and we were just rambunctious little hellions running around barefoot and wreaking havoc on the neighborhood, we were not so traditional to begin with. <laughs> um, so I, I don't think that I was ever really reared in, a, in the idea that I was going to be the, the traditional Southern belle having tea parties with gloves on, you know, age 22, married with kids. So where do you think this incredible inner strength that you have comes from because it's it's incredibly hard to continue to follow your own path and make up your own way. The pull of a traditional life, it's easier. There's grooves that are already pre-cut, you know? Um, I know the mushroom journey gave you insight and permission to do what you knew you needed to do. But, but once you had that knowledge 
to continue to do it, to follow that path as other friends decided to move home and stop traveling and all this? Where, where did your strength to follow your way come from? Well, I would say that I don't know if it was as much strength as I was just stoked. <laughs> like I was loving what I was doing and the idea of adulting was just horrifying to me. And so I was just, whatever I could do to stave off the premature adulting, which I think is a huge, huge epidemic in the world. Um, I was in no rush to return home and live that life. And everywhere I went was just always an amazing experience. And it was just kind of, brought me to the next step. And I mean, the strength, I think you need strength for adulting. <laughs> you don't need strength to be, hold on, let me say that. I don't know. I think, I think it does require strength, but to feed it with joy works too. <laughs> so it was not hard to stay out you know, on my thrill-seeking, soul-seeking journey when the the other option is to return home and start adulting, which to me was terrifying and <laughs> the last thing I wanted to do. So I was pretty much at, at a certain point, like you mentioned, that a lot of friends did start returning home and did return to, quote, normal life. And at that point, I was like, I'm on a mission to avoid premature adulting for as long as possible because at some point it's going to happen and then there's no there's no coming back but I'm gonna keep on doing my thing for as long as possible because this is pretty dope <laughs> living your best life yeah and just you know every every kind of adventure brought me to a new one and it was just one thing after another and there was really no like I said there's no plan um, I just kind of went with the flow, and the flow was just awesome. <laughs> I guess it, the one difficult part is was to keep on, keep on keeping on, and moving on to like the next thing because I it was basically ten years. I feel like I led, I led like ten different lives, and everywhere I went, it was almost reinventing myself every time. But it was also I had to say goodbye to my previous life, which was always, you know, you build up this life that's awesome and you make these friends and you live in this awesome place. And then it's like you pack up and you start all over. And so it's hard to leave behind something that you love. And that does kind of take the strength, but then it's like you gain a whole new life of spectacularness and every place that I've left, then I'm, into a new place and I can't imagine life without that experience and without those friends, the new friends. And so just knowing what's, what you'll gain from what you're leaving behind can give you strength and just the excitement of, of all the things. <laughs> Our friend Jamie has a great quote. I can't remember where it's from, but it was something to the effect of now you will never be truly at home anywhere, for your heart is many places. Like you leave yourself, a little bit of yourself, all these places that you love. But you also do take aspects of it along with you. I mean, it's incredibly healing to travel in that sense because you find more and more deeply who you are, who you might not have become if you hadn't had those encounters in that yeah. time. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like you go to 
unfamiliar places with unfamiliar faces and suddenly you find little bits of yourself that were long lost <laughs> or little bits that that you needed and i mean for example um when i lived in argentina uh that was when i was i don't know 23 or something 23 24 and it was the first time i'd ever lived in a big city and you know it's a third world country so everything there is it's not as sparkly as it is in america and nothing works that's my my little uh, slang term there nunca funca which means nothing works in spanish and nothing works there everything breaks everything's janky you can get locked into your own house oh. uh just, it's just insane what do i have to call my friend missed a flight because of it and you really like we take for granted so much here in america like how lucky we are and how well we have it and all of the luxuries that we that we just consider normal life i mean they are not normal like dishwashers and like clothes washing machines and that kind of thing that is people in the world don't have that kind of thing and so when you go to a place like that you just all of a sudden instead of i don't know you just you just gain this appreciation and it just kind of changes your whole perspective on everything. So you come home and you're pissed off because your car has a flat tire. When really it's like, wow, I'm so lucky to have a car. And when I went there, I think I thought of myself kind of as a victim because I had lost my dad and I was still, you know, I didn't know many other people who's had lost a parent at that age. And so I was like, like, poor me. Like I, but then I went there and I realized that kind of just the whole culture there is that the dad's not necessarily a huge part of the kid's life. A lot of times the dad won't even live with the family and the mom does all the quote women jobs and she raises the family and they live in these tiny apartments, the whole family and the dad's just like doing his thing all over town. And so I realized that, or you're not promised anything. Like I the fact that I even had my dad in my life for so long and got to spend so much time with them, even for just 20 years, is such a gift because some people, they don't even know their dad or maybe their their dad's not a big part of their life or maybe, I don't know, their dad, yeah, like I said, they don't even know who he is. And so it just kind of changed me from from feeling like I was some kind of victim and that something was taken from me made me realize that no, I had this gift and that I should appreciate it rather than look back on it or think of it as as a you know a bad thing. <laughs> mm. I don't know if that answered the question. What was the it question? does. It does. Hello travelers. Just a quick pause from our theater's sponsor, me. <laughs> As we turn towards winter and tis especially the season, do you love a bit of the Gothic? Visit me at eveningskingdom.com and help support this show by buying new stories available via Kindle and also Audible. This includes The Never Sees, in which the eerie obsessive attraction between a restless young woman and a dangerous traveler tips into madness and revenge, <laughs> gothic atmosphere, check. A wee bit erotic, check, check. 
If you love epic fantasy, I'm recording books one and two of Evening's Kingdom for free. And those episodes are available via eveningskingdom.com. As requested, I'm also working on a tangible copy, a lovely paperback you can hold in your hands and enjoy. The story is pretty epic and sweeping, so I can understand you may want to follow along, be able to flip back and reread the good bits, etc. Early readers also receive a free digital copy of Evening's Kingdom in exchange for their honest review when I officially release the book, which I will mail you so you have a lovely copy all your own. If that strikes you, visit eveningskingdom.com and click subscribe slash get book one for free. Now, back to our show. All in all, you travel the world for over a decade. How did your mindset evolve through all those years traveling? Well, yeah, definitely took a lot of uh, mindset shifts. Uh, I think that's just kind of, I would say I definitely had lots, lots of evolutionary changes in the mind. <laughs> As your circumstances change, you just, you have to change the way you think and adapt to your new situation. And you were growing up on the road, you know, raising yourself, really. Yeah. Letting, actually, the world was raising you. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, mindset shifts, they're just like pivotal moments. They're these amazing little, little revelations that just help you either heal or grow or just become at peace <laughs> with the way things are. And I think that... Um, yeah, the hardest thing to really, for me to get used to in the early years was creating my own beliefs about what, what a successful person or what a successful life looks like. Because growing up in South Carolina or even in America, you know, in the little, whatever bubble that you grow up in, you're told what's good and what's bad kind of, you know, through just social norms and just pop culture and just what you experience and what you know is the typical American dream where you, after school, you get a nice successful job and you go work a nine to five and you save up for retirement and you get married and have kids and then you retire and you go, you know, join the tennis club or something and live a happy life forever and ever. And that was just, that was how our parents and our grandparents grew up and that's just kind of what was expected. But when I started to travel and I met all these people who had such different lifestyles and even different upbringings that were nothing like that. And just knowing that way of thinking was kind of actually outdated and no longer even valid, like social security and retirement, those are things that aren't really working out these days. And, and just, the thought that you should spend the prime of your life working a nine to five behind a desk while you could be out in the world exploring outdoors. I mean, that's when you're the strongest. I mean, when you retire, you're going to go climb mountains and jump off cliffs and go skydiving. Those are things you should do when you're younger. Yeah. So, And then for anyone who is locked to a nine to five listening to this, yearning to change that. Baker is going to talk about some alternative forms of income later in this show. So don't despair. Yes, we have solutions. <laughs> we have solutions. 
But um, mm. but yeah, so at, at one point I, this is when I was living in Argentina as well. So it had been a few years into my, into my travels and I had this little funk for a little bit and I was just feeling as though I wasn't contributing to society because at, although I was teaching English, I wasn't earning a whole lot of money and I was doing it very uh, part-time. I was just all thinking... All those hot dudes. <laughs> all those <laughs> porteños. Um, I just kind of started to feel like, you know, what am I doing? I'm not contributing to society. I'm not, like, really earning a lot of money. But then I thought a little bit harder, and I realized, actually, I've learned a whole other language. I'm learning how to navigate through a huge city, a Spanish-speaking third-world country. I have made these amazing friends. And what do I value more, like dollars in the bank or these experiences and these connections and relationships that you just can't put a value on? And um, I realized that is way more important to me. And the knowledge and the wisdom and, like, the street smarts that I was gaining, I mean, it's... What's the word? Invaluable? Yeah. Is that the word? <laughs> but yeah, so I, I had to just, I had to shake off what I had been instilled in me that to be a successful person, to have a successful life meant doing that typical nine to five thing. And I realized that to me, success is the relationships that I made and the experiences that I had. And the memories that just you can't put a dollar sign on and just let myself be free to do that and not beat myself up that I wasn't being that American dream kind of girl. <laughs> yeah. You have to choose the regrets that you can't live with for sure. I like that. <laughs> yeah. But, but, um, but yeah. With that see. comes defining what it is that to you would make you happy. And it might not fit into this, you called it something. Conventional American dream. Yeah. There's so many dreams. There's so many dreams. Yeah. And, and what I find value in might be totally different to somebody else, but just That's basically okay. you, have, you have to create your own values and create your own lifestyle based on what you want out of it. And that might be very different from what you've been told or just what has been instilled in you your whole life and that's fine but you got to get away from that to know how you want to think because if you if you're stuck with the same in that same bubble your whole life then you're not going to think outside the bubble <laughs> so we all tend to be much more open to new experiences when we're traveling and you like to say travel is a frame of mind is this still something you try to consciously cultivate every day, staying open to new experiences now that you're back in Charleston for a little while? <laughs> yeah. um, I would, uh, I'd like to think that more it's a mindset that I've adopted, that it's ingrained in my brain. I don't think I'm ever just going to one day wake up and be like, you know what, I'm going to do the same thing forever from now on. <laughs> and if I ever get an opportunity to go do something new and do something cool and fun I'll jump on it as long as I can now that I'm you know adulting part-time <laughs> I don't always have the freedom to just do what I want to do whenever I want to do it or you know I have obligations I have responsibilities so if I am given the opportunity and if I can 
then I will. And if you can, you should. <laughs> so I want to switch gears because I know a lot of people will really appreciate what you have to say on this. There is no better way to fund an unorthodox lifestyle than with unorthodox sources of income. So first of all, I have to say you're not materialistic. I think when I first met you, you were mostly wearing your famous Pfizer canizers <laughs> as seen on YouTube, which you made from cut up denim jeans and fabric scraps, lots of glitter. <laughs> so you keep your day-to-day -day costs very low. But another thing I've always admired about you is that your sources of income always seem to be sources of adventure and joy as well. Tell us about some of the revenue streams that you're, um, you found helpful. Yes, money, money, money it makes the world go round. <laughs> Not because it's money, but because it can fund your adventures. So if you want to go on adventures, having an adventure job helps. <laughs> um, let's see. I'll just kind of go through what I have done, and then I'll tell you, like, my faves. <laughs> um, so in the beginning, I mean, when I lived in Colorado and when I lived in Tahoe, I pretty much just food and bev. Uh, but when I lived in Argentina, I taught English and I also worked for a pub crawl company, which was a lot of fun. I mean, you can always even just do food and bev if you move somewhere where you speak the language. Let's see. Well, then I worked on a yacht for like a year and a half. I worked on private jets as a cabin attendant. I was on a reality show below deck. And then more recently, I have a house that I Airbnb full time. And I also have an RV that I rent out from time to time. And then my latest and greatest is my local dance company called Diva Dance Parties Charleston. And it's part of a franchise of a bigger company, Diva Dance Company, which is awesome. And so those are pretty much what my sources of income have been in the past uh, 15 years. And I would say maybe the best ones or my favorite. <laughs> Definitely working on a yacht is pretty amazing. You, you work on a lot, the yacht, you live on the yacht and you go where the yacht goes and yachts don't go to boring places. <laughs> and you're mainly just making sure that the richest people in the world have a fun time when they're on vacation and that their toys work <laughs> and that it stays looking brand new. So as long as you can handle all that and you also have to be willing to set aside a year of your life to really get the full experience. Um, but you can earn a lot of money. You have no expenses. And it is, I think, the most effective way to prevent premature adulting of all these other jobs. Because if you're having to deal with, you know, parent pressure, and they're like, you know, after school, they like, want you to get a job. They seem... Um, they're not too stoked about some of these other jobs or just, you know, moving somewhere and bartending, but everyone's very in intrigued in the yachting world. And they might be a little more open to you doing that than, you know, going and being a ski bum or <laughs> teaching English for like $5 an hour. And you wrote a book about it. Yes. Yes. The Yacht Job Handbook. Uh, you can, the digital version is the best. Um, we'll send, we'll mention the links for that. Yeah, I'll have show notes. Yes. Bakermanian.com. You can find a lot of this information. Yeah. But uh, I do, I strongly recommend the book. And she points out like you are going to save a ton of money principally because you're not spending your money at all. So you think of a whole year's worth of income, the kind of money you'd be paid working on a private yacht, saving that entire amount for however long you do it. I mean, yeah. And, and you're 
all of your living expenses and needs are taken care of. So you have all this mind space to think higher thoughts. <laughs> you're not wondering like, how am I going to feed myself? You're like, what do I really want to be in the world? <laughs> as, you, as you polish metal for three hours in the beautiful, you know, beautiful Bahama setting but, um, or wherever your yacht is. It's definitely going to be somewhere nice. Um, so yeah, that one is definitely something to look into. Um, the working on private jets is really sweet, a lot harder to get into. Both of them require it's like a five-day training course, the yacht job, SCCW. That one's about between 1000 and maybe $1,200 now, but the jet training is closer to like $5,000. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, um, but the yacht job is kind of a good shoe-in for working on jets. So that's a good order if you want to do both. See um, if you like the service industry. Yes. The, the company that you used for the, the jets, it was called FlexJet? That's who I worked for. Um, I will get back to you on the name of the, the school that I went to for the training. I forget what it was called, but it was in Savannah. They have them all over the country. So we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, okay, so Airbnb is my bread and butter. And I know you know about that, <laughs> but Airbnb has been life-changing. My brother and I, we bought a house here in Charleston back in 2014. We really lucked out because it was before, you know, all the prices shot up and all that. So we lived in it for several years, but then in 2017, we both moved out and started Airbnb at full time. And that has just been, I don't even know. I mean, it's changed my whole life. Like, I don't know what I would do without that Airbnb money. Mm-hmm. And you can set it up to where it's pretty much all automated. Like, I obviously, there's little things you have to do from time to time and repairs that need to be made and just the typical admin stuff. But I have it to where people can book and then they just get these automated messages. We've got a keyless entry. So we'll send them their the access code before their arrival date. So there's no check-in. I don't have to deal with check-ins or any of that kind of stuff. We have all the checkout instructions for them. The cleaners have the calendar. So they just show up and clean. So it's very automated. And so you can Airbnb a bedroom in your house or you can Airbnb the whole house if you go out of town for a weekend. You don't have to necessarily own the house, although check out your local laws. <laughs> but it's just an amazing source of income. So that is an option. If you wanted to go travel for a month, you could rent out your place and that could pay for your whole trip. And otherwise, the place is going to sit there empty and you're going to have to pay for it. So you might as well. And it does. Airbnb. It shifts your mindset in this really interesting way away from, you know, possessing and controlling to more just like, do you value experiences or things? So like what we're doing, we're just renting out one room in our house, but when we're both gone, we're going to rent out the whole house, which is a little hard for me because I love my things. I like my things in their specific place. I worry about people. This is silly, but I'll be honest. Like I worry about people taking my books. (laughs) Nobody's going to take my books. You know, (laughs) that's the last thing. But you know, it's more important to get out and have experiences and, and live life and really be present. And with Airbnb and these unorthodox things, it does set you free and helps keep your perspective 
fresh. Because like you are, you're renting a place when you own a house. Yeah. Because you can make more money by Airbnb being the whole house. Baker did encourage me to continue to live in the school bus and rent out our whole house, but I wasn't strong enough. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, like like you said, I'm, I have an RV sitting vacant in front of my house, but I prefer my house as well. So I'm, I'll pay money to rent a place at Folly Beach, which is pretty awesome. The but, edge of America. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, but I get it because I've I've lived that that bus life, and it is very refreshing to finally be back in your own space uh-huh. and with a lot of everything machine. is temporary. Like the other uh-huh. thing too, and when what Airbnb makes possible is you can you can spend seasons living all over the world, and you can rent an Airbnb for months at a time. Like you, you're no longer uh, stuck in one place. You you got options, <laughs> and you guys can live here for however long and then maybe y'all might want to go on another little another little bus hiatus or bus adventure for a few months and then yeah. you can so that's the plan you know we were gone i think it was a year and a half uh and some of that was covid time you know so everything was different and we've had to come back because our day jobs we don't have to be there on site all the time but there are periods when we do and it's just easier to be in the area um but our plan was kind of like yours, where we were traveling around looking for the perfect place and thinking, okay, we're going to do a month here and three months here and all this, which we did. And it was amazing. But it's funny how the whole time we were coming, we were taking the long road back home, which is here. Yeah. Which is what you've done. Yeah. <laughs> no, and that, yeah, and that is like, it, it was funny to me um, because when I left Charleston after I was finished with school, that was what I told everybody. I was like, I'm going to find the perfect post-up spot. Charleston, <laughs> Charleston was not on the list. And but Charleston was always my headquarters. It was always, you know, I would I would come back here, kind of fall back or regroup before off to the next place. And every time I came home, I just like, you know, it just started to grow on me. And and eventually, like I said, it's it's hard to leave a place where you've been living because you just you know, grow so close to the people and mm-hmm. everything about it. But it was way less hard to leave knowing that I was going to come home to Charleston and I would, I would be just as excited, you know, to come back here um, as I was to start some new adventure. So eventually I was like, there's every place I went, it had this, each one had its own special quality that I loved. But when I really put it into perspective I mean Charleston like nothing compared to here (laughs) like I love it's a beautiful place it's has friends and family we've got the beaches we've got the food we got all those things and it became very obvious to me that Charleston was home because it had just everything that I loved and all the people that I loved (laughs) The people, the people are amazing here. The The pace of life, the way everyone slows down and prioritizes just being together is really singular. I mean, like, I went to the Food Lion, which is our local grocery store the other day. Shitty kitty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just their game up a little bit. It's also called that. And, <laughs> but every time you're there and, and you're in line in the grocery store, you end up in conversation with the, the checkout cashier and the people in the line. They want to know what you're making with what you have. Like, oh, what you going to do? Oh, can I come over? <laughs> and like, I mean, every time, whenever I have somebody yes. visiting, they're always like, 
this is crazy. I know. I didn't know there was it's anywhere so in America I still have. It's beautiful. It's like, oh yeah, that's that's the real life, not my inbox. Yeah. You know? Uh, I remember when I came back, um, especially from Argentina, um, it's, it's a big city, and but they also, you know, they had they had a lot of recent political issues that I think caused people to kind of stay a little more, yeah. um, they're a little more closed off or something like that. I don't know. They Eye contact and like, you know, conversation like that mm-hmm. isn't something that you'll you'll see. It's often. a luxury. It's a major luxury to feel safe and open to people that you don't know. Yeah. And um, but yeah, and then I, I remember coming back to Charleston and just any person that you make eye contact with, a smile at you. Some will even wave. Even people passing you in the car will wave at you as you walk down the street. Like it's hilarious. And yeah, just go to the grocery store and I'm just standing there looking for soup and some lady walks up and we're just chatting about soup. I was <laughs> like, this is hilarious and awesome. <laughs> Everyone's so like smiley and friendly and I, I like that. I think it's a sign. <laughs> for, a, for a long time too, people didn't honk when you were like taking a while to go at a green light. Things like that. Although I think that is starting we have to enough, change. We have enough northerners living down here now that you get some honks. Yeah, but. you can tell. They honk. <laughs> um. Do you have any tips for staying healthy while traveling or better yet, uh, feeling and looking fabulous as seen in your famous visor genizer video on YouTube? <laughs> I have plenty of tips. I don't, I can't say that I am that great at following my own advice, but I do know there are ways. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as staying healthy while traveling, that I struggle with, but the least that you can do is try to get a lot of physical, do physical activities uh, while, you know, plan fun things like go on a hike or even walk. I love biking. I think if you're exploring a new city, biking is the best way to do it because you can cover so much ground. But walking is great too. Um, living here in Charleston, it's extremely hot. So I'm like, I don't walk. That's like not my thing, but you rollerblade. <laughs> yes. I love rollerblading. <laughs> rollerblading is so fun. But, um, but yeah, typically, I mean, my, my like main reasons for travel is either adventure or party. Um, so if I'm going on an adventure, hopefully I'm walking up a mountain or going surfing or doing something like that. Um, and if I'm partying, I'm probably going to a music festival and that dancing really adds up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, last time I was in Mexico, I danced 20 miles in nine hours <laughs> at a jungle party. Um, but yeah, and if you can't, if you're not doing adventure uh, and you're not going to a music festival, just any kind of dancing, I highly recommend. When you get a chance, dance. If you're going out to dinner and there's some live music somewhere. But besides that, uh, let's see. So the food obviously is a big thing. So just try to eat nice, real foods. And I think also buying, if you're going to stay in a place for a while and try to stay in a place that has a kitchen or at least a fridge, and if you can buy your own healthy snacks, that can help. Because if you don't have any food on deck and then all of a sudden you're hungry, you're just going to immediately have the go eat or go out to eat at a restaurant. And that might not be the healthiest, but if you can snack your way through the day and then have one big meal, <laughs> that's better. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's see, besides that, 
I I pretty much have a hard time staying healthy while traveling because, like I said, I like to party. And traveling typically is a lot of partying for me. So I go on vendors and then I go on menders. <laughs> <laughs> so knowing that, you know, a five-day trip is going to be a five-day bender, I try to uh, do a five-day mender on the tail end and on the front end of that mender. So I try to be really healthy before I leave. And then when I get back, I'll be healthy again. <laughs> yeah. So at home, you know, work out really well, eat well, don't drink, and then begins the bender. And then I'll, I'll have the grand finale, bender ender, which will be my last drink of the trip. <laughs> and then I get home and then I whip myself back into shape. So <laughs> may not be the most conventional advice, but uh, it, it is something. Uh, as far as feeling and looking fabulous, well, you know, that's all mental. <laughs> you know, you, well, you want to be comfortable, but if you've got some steezy outfits you want to wear, that helps. And and what's steezy? <laughs> steezy. Well, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I like to dress to express. So, for example, my visor organizers, I like to add fun little pockets and sparkles and uh, anything like my favorite color is blue. So I got a lot of blue things going on. So whatever it is that whenever, whatever makes you feel good, rock it. And even if it's a little outlandish, who cares? Because, <laughs> um, yeah, you have a, a packing list download on your website, right? Oh yeah. I have all types of packing lists, bakerman.com. So we'll, we'll add that to the show notes as well. I have a lot of outfits that are great for traveling that are very versatile and multi-way. So there's this one brand I highly recommend. It's called Angel Rocks, A-N-G-E-L-R-O-X. And they have these amazing multi-way clothing. So there's this long skirt. It's tight fitting on the top, flowing on the bottom. And it can be a skirt. It can be a dress. It can be a shirt. It can be so many things, and it looks so cute, made out of bamboo. And they've nice. got these wraps that also can you can wear them 10 different ways. And so I always bring, like, a whole – I pretty much bought, like, their entire clothing line <laughs> in multiple colors. And so I always pack those with me when I'm traveling, so you've always got options. And then I also like to bring my fun gear. But another just, I guess, tip as far as packing goes – is is choose a a color scheme so i usually wear like black bottoms so black shorts black skirts um that kind of thing and then my shirts can be more colorful or have patterns but if you bring bottoms and tops that are both full of patterns then they won't match as much <laughs> so if you're going on a long trip you know you're going to need as many different outfits and so the more they can match the better it is so I tend to do like a one color bottoms and then more colorful tops and then accessories are amazing so I like to bring sarongs sarongs are so useful they're so right <laughs> and I like to bring things like there's like hand warmers arm warmers hats those kind of things that are crucial if you have the weather isn't consistent and oh, electronic hand warmers are amazing. <laughs> this has nothing to do with fashion, but they are life life changing. 
uh, $30 on Amazon. You can recharge them. And let's see, as far as, what are we at here? Looking fabulous? Well, as a Southern Belle, I like to maintain some elegance and elements. So I pretty much, I well, I call myself a gypsy diva. <laughs> and the diva in me, she does not pack lightly. I bring lots of things that help with dealing with extreme environments. So if I'm at the beach, I got like my face wipes, makeup remover, <laughs> a little mirror. I'll bring like leave-in hair conditioner so I can come out my hair when it gets all tangly in the ocean. Uh, little things like that. If you know you're going to be doing something outdoors and you still want to look good, then think of what's going to make you look bad and then how you're going to solve that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all on the, it's all on my packing checklist at biggermeaning.com. <laughs> you are an incredibly wonderful, supportive friend. And friendship is an art, truly. And you mean so many things to so many people and just seem to balance this massive international friend group with um, depth, even though, you know, it's this huge number of people. I don't even know how many people you're balancing. How do you do it? Well, the biggest thing for staying in touch, social media is amazing. And, um, I mean, social media really has uh, Facebook, um, more specifically has has changed my life because I I've never hesitated to go on there and post and ask people to connect me with people. So if I'm moving somewhere new, when I moved to Argentina, when I moved to Colorado, when I started working on a yacht, I just hopped on the good old Facebook and I wrote a post like, hey, everybody, I'm moving to this place. Uh, I'm going to need somewhere to live. I'm going to need some friends. If you know, if you have any intel, hook a sister up. And I mean, immediately people just start responding to me and they connect me with people and those people become my best friends, my roommates. Um, I've found places to live. I mean, in minutes, it's insane. And so I've seen you do that. Yeah. Like it's, it's amazing. <laughs> and so that has been a huge, uh, I guess, tool or resource or whatever you want to call it for moving to a new place and, and getting connected and then staying connected as well because, you know, you go somewhere and, and you meet these people and they become like your best friend, like your roommates. Like we speak every day, we do everything together and then you move and you're not speaking every day, but, you know, from time to time you can share stuff on social, you can comment on each other's things and that kind of keeps it going and then like eventually, hopefully your paths will cross. <laughs> paths will cross. There we go. Your paths will cross. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think you got it the first time, but I've had some wine too. Okay. Uh, eventually your paths will cross again, <laughs> or you may go back to that place and, and then you can reconnect and reconnecting with an old friend that you haven't seen in so long and being able to see them in person and, all that is just such a wonderful uh, experience and feeling and all that. And another tip I have for that purpose is keywords when you save your contacts. So because I lived in so many places, I always give everyone that when I save them in my phone, I give them a keyword um, or like a nickname. So your my phone is Paula Chuck. So anyone in Charleston, because Charleston is Chuck Town. I'll put in their name, 
And I might even, you might have four keywords, but I'll put in your name plus Chuck. And then however I met you or however I know you. Um, so if I met you at, on Folly, it would be like Paula Folly Chuck. Or if I met you in, in Denver, it'd be like Paula Den. And I have, you know, so if it's in Breck, just Breck. So, or if I met you at like a music festival, I'll put your name plus that festival. And so if I'm going back to Denver, if I'm going to Breckenridge, mm. you open up your messages, you type the word Breck and all of your friends from Breck show up uh. and you can just start texting people like, yo, I'm coming to town next week. Let's kick it. <laughs> and easiest thing is try to get everybody to come to you. So be like, <laughs> <laughs> first night, dinner here, meet me there. <laughs> Spoken like a Southern belle. <laughs> So yeah, so I mean, social media is huge. And then, you know, like the keyword thing is huge too, because half the time I might not even remember your first name or all the people that I know in this place, but I just, they just get this little drop down menu of all your Denver friends and your messages tab. So, and then the messages rekindle the memories, hopefully. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. So um, yeah, I mean, that that's huge for sure. And, um, but yeah, just try to, you know, reach out to people from time to time or, or comment on their stuff too. I mean, that helps just to kind of keep, keep the conversation going. I like the keyword thing. I'm, I'm really good at remembering people's stories, but I'm not so good at remembering their names. Oh yeah. And I might have, I probably have like 20 Johns in my phone. Oh yeah. <laughs> they all have right. keywords, but so it's like, how else would you tell them apart? <laughs> so I've noticed you always seem to have at least two of everything, two scrunchies, two water bottles. Yeah, right now she's snapping two scrunchies, <laughs> three hand warmers. Do you pack for the day specifically to be able to share with people that you meet? Well, as a gypsy diva who always comes prepared to <laughs> be as comfortable as possible in the elements, um, my kind of way of thinking is if I'm going to bring a bag, I might as well fill it up. So however much <laughs> space I have, I'm going to fill it up. So if it's cold outside and I know it's, people are going to need hand warmers and I'm going to want like my own hand warmer <laughs> and then another one to let people use, then yeah, I tend to bring, I mean, like you said, or I'm not, I'm not a materialistic person, but I do like things that help maximize the spectacularness and comfort of whatever I'm doing, whether that be a Bluetooth speaker or a hand warmer or let's see, Oh, a fan, <laughs> like things like that, like a bottle of champagne, you know, like those are things that I will, I will put in the extra effort to bring and lug them around knowing that they're going to make things better. And so, but there's, you know, for one thing, I mean, I hate being cold. I mm. despise it. So yeah, I'm going to do whatever it takes to like not be cold <laughs> in the cold. So I will bring multiple hand warmers you know, because for one, like I said, I want my own and I know my friends are going to need one and mine might die. And that's the gypsy diva in me. <laughs> I love this line from your writings. You're talking about music festival survival and you write, I can be very absent-minded and have learned that having my belongings attached to me is extremely useful. Anytime I was responsible for holding onto a key, I attached it to a hairband around my wrist. I love this. I like to get hyper-prepared about weird little details so I can just float around and be in the flow. 
Do you have any other tips like that? Oh, yes. I have many tips. I feel like at this point we need to dive more into uh, Gypsy Diva and, <laughs> and what it represents. So as a, you know, born and bred Southern Belle, I definitely, like, to my core, am a diva. I think most girls are divas. I mean, at, from five years old and on, like, I've, or however long I can remember, it's like I love, like, sparkly things. I love bright colors. And, like, we all want to, like, look as good as we can. And anyways, yeah, I I like to, I like being girly. But at the same time, you know, if you're traveling, you're out, like, I, I can rough and tough it out as well. So that's, like, the gypsy in me. And I've learned that pretty much if you're traveling, you need to have a good balance of the gypsy and the diva. Because the diva is, she's great before traveling to prepare for the traveling she she arms you with all of the things that you need <laughs> to to survive and to so she's thinking what's gonna suck and yeah. how can i fix she's that? like what are all the bad things that can happen and how can i prevent them <laughs> and so she's she's great for the preparations um but then when you are actually in the act of traveling or you're in the midst of some excursion or adventure Divas don't really flourish in that department. So that's when you need to unleash the div or the gypsy because gypsies, you know, carefree, they can adapt, they can go with the flow, they can deal with, you know, less desirable <laughs> environments. And so, but at the same time, the gypsy, my gypsy is, yeah, very, um, she can be a little careless. She can be a little absent-minded. She can lose things and she can kind of, uh, not care about things like your appearance and whatnot. So you need you need both of them to balance balance it out. And so, hold on, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> so I've learned that basically to have to maximize the spectacularness of whatever you're doing, you gotta have a, a well balanced gypsy diva. Do the diva for the preparations and the packing. And the gypsy for the act of having fun <laughs> because of her willingness to deal with everything. And the diva knows that the gypsy loses things. And that, and that, for that reason, <laughs> hold on. I, I like this idea of basically splitting your persona up into these individual, uh, like, like daimons or uh, daemons. I don't know what you'd say, how you pronounce that word. But it's also helpful for me as a writer, you know, because that mind, I'm always sort of looking for um, narrative arcs and imposing them when they're not there or thinking about how I'm going to behave the night before I have a big writing day and whatever. And you can get very, it's hard to be present, really. Like it's deeply enjoyable for me because I'm a Virgo, <laughs> but it doesn't make me always the best friend or the best wife. And so... It could be interesting maybe to experiment with like, all right, writer is not writing right now. So now I'm, you know, whatever the other aspects of me there are. That's uh, that's a fun exercise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I've, I mean, I'm like I said, I could write a whole book called Bakes Mistakes. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> you should. <laughs> yeah, oh, I will. I will. 
Um, <laughs> but I tend to do a lot of dumb things. I'm impulsive. I don't make the best decisions. I don't set myself up for success just naturally. But you make good decisions and bad decisions. Yes, yes perfectly yes. bad decisions. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> it's all worked out. But mm. I have learned. I've I've learned a lot of like the things that I need to prevent. I how to protect myself from myself, <laughs> how to protect myself from my future self, the one that doesn't make good decisions. And um, so, yeah, so that, I mean, for sure, I mean, it's just in my DNA, I think, to just, I, I lose things, I forget things, uh, I'm dis- I can be disorganized, but, and that's actually one thing that has really uh, improved is my organizational skills. But when I used to pack for like a music festival, just, I always overpack. That's the diva. But um, I just throw everything in a suitcase. And then you you kind of, you can't find anything because you have everything and it's always in a big ball. Um, <laughs> so, I've, so I've learned Sparkly how, ball. Yeah, right? <laughs> and and I also know like all the things that can go wrong because like I've experienced them all. So I, I know how to prevent those things and all the things that I need to be comfortable, to survive, to thrive. You know, just the the basic necessities that are required, especially if you're doing something, you know, outdoors, some extreme stuff. And so, yeah, so once you kind of learn whatever it is that you struggle with, then you can take the necessary precautions to prevent that, especially when you're out in the wilderness. (laughs) Do you have other personas within yourself that you've noticed besides the gypsy and the diva the gypsy i feel like i do hold on (laughs) oh well i mean yeah i mean basically i'm i'm a diva at the core and but i'm many types of divas like if i'm driving my rv i'm an rv diva if i'm at a festival i'm a festi diva i'm pretty much always an ad diva (laughs) add diva um When I'm uh, working on my website, I'm a techie diva. When I'm dealing with all my gadgets, I'm a gadget diva. So, yeah, I have um, many different spectrums of, or I have a spectrum of diva and it's very wide. <laughs> but but in, in, um, enjoying it from a diva lens, then I guess you would celebrate the fun aspects of that. Well, that's cool. Yes. So, what, what is a techie diva? do <laughs> techie diva sits at the computer for hours on end and makes blog posts and builds websites and actually could geek out on some very technical concepts like seo and website optimization and other stuff that we won't bore you with on this podcast <laughs> you went deep with the seo i i need to do that it's all just time it is it is fun to drill down into these things but yeah it's always something very time consuming. <laughs> mm. Have any books changed your life? Oh yes, many books have changed my life. But I would say some of the top ones I'd recommend: um, Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss was amazing, and that is kind of a good. It really opened up my eyes to so many different lifestyle options and so many different forms of income and just the new way of thinking versus the old way and just kind of debunking all of the the prior ways of life from older generations and how that's just not a thing anymore and it's just 
awesome. I think it should be required reading for high schoolers, honestly. Uh, so that definitely look into that if you haven't already. And then Eckhart Tolle was very impactful for me on a on a spiritual realm. It really kind of helped me to to differentiate between myself and my ego and just really it helps me just my inner mind be at peace and not react to certain situations and realize and not try to let, I don't know how I'm starting with that. <laughs> well, I, I like that. Like, how do you explain the difference between yourself and your ego? Aren't, are they the same? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> um, I mean, your ego is that little chatter thing that Chatter, <laughs> like that. It's a little thing chattering at you and and judging you. And at the time that the book found me, <laughs> I really needed it. I was just working on this one yacht, and I was just having a really hard time dealing with some of the crew members who were just extremely unhappy and rude all the time. Mm-hmm. And it was just really getting to me and. In this book, he kind of starts to dissect um, just the whole human, not not the anatomy, the human psychology and the difference between yourself. The human psyche. Yeah, the human psyche. Yeah, that's it. Yourself and your ego and how to differentiate between the two because there is huge difference and that your true self is, or your ego may pop up and any trait that you have or any bad habit that you have or bad thought that you have may pop up in your brain and in your thoughts. But that doesn't mean that that defines who you are or what you are. There's a lot more to it. <laughs> but just being aware of of yourself and and being aware of how you react to other people and knowing that sometimes other people may attack you or just cause drama or bad energy towards you doesn't necessarily mean that they're trying to harm you. It means that they are in a bad place. This is a very long-winded answer, but... <laughs> I love it. I love it. It really helped me to kind of deal with those situations where I wanted to be angry at somebody, but realizing that really they're not trying to attack you. They're just, they just, they need help. <laughs> they're they, in a bad place. Yeah, they're in a bad place. And and knowing it's not about you and, and being able to not react like immediately with anger or being upset and just try to be calm and react in a way that's going to be constructive mm-hmm. and helpful rather than, you know, just letting them bring you down to their level and being whack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's like, um, as Justice says, it helps in marriage to be a little deaf. And I think that's true in all relationships because people say things that are beneath them and they maybe don't even really mean to say what they say. They just sort of can't stop themselves. And if you can just hold a higher vibration, sometimes they'll live up to that. And other times not, and that's fine. Yeah. So when you started living by these tenets, or applying these things from the book, did you notice a change on the boat? Oh, yeah. 
I mean, in me, for sure. I became a little boat Buddha. <laughs> because, I mean, it really, I never, when I'm, when you live and work on a yacht, like, you're not, you don't have any choice who you live with. Like, your crew, I mean, it's basically like your family. You live in a, a tiny living quarters together. You see each other all day, every day. And not everybody is very pleasant. And, and you're in bunk beds, right? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're sharing, yeah. you know, sharing a room with them and, and all that. So you can't really escape it. And yeah, it's like I, I had never been forced to be around like miserable, angry people who were so rude to me. And, mm. and it was just hard for me because I was like in the real world, if someone's rude to you, like you're like, all right, bye. Uh-huh. <laughs> you walk away and you don't talk to them ever again. Anyway, so I started to I actually listen to the book. Audio books are amazing. And working on a yacht, I started listening to all types of audiobooks and podcasts. And it was a great way to fill all the time of all those mindless tasks. But um, so it became like almost like a fun game. I was excited to wake up and be like, all right, I'm not going to let anybody piss me off today because I'm in charge of my own, like, uh, not happiness, but uh, mood. I don't know. And so despite their snappiness and their rudeness and this and that, I just just tried to stay balanced and just do what they say and smile on my face and and did you say smile with your face or smile on my face? Oh, I was like, what? Smile with my face and my third eye. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you helped them feel better too. Oh, I don't know, but I don't think it made a difference to them. But really? I was way better. <laughs> yeah, that but I mean, but at the same time, I think it helped just the the environment and the energy because before that, I probably. I probably maybe snapped back at him or it also, it also made me, you know, sometimes if somebody uh, reprimands you or something and, and it's unearned, like they, they yell at you for something and you don't deserve to be yelled at. You want to uh, talk back and try to explain oh, yeah. your side of things. I really have trouble with that. Yeah. And, and uh. I did too. And after, you know, listening to this book, uh, I, I kind of like dropped the need to explain myself or, you know, like instead of talking back, I was just like, okay, yeah, I don't, I don't need to argue with you. I don't need to explain to you that I actually was just told to do this by somebody else. And that's why I'm doing it. I don't need to, I don't need to make this go any further. So anyway, yeah. Cause I guess that's great. ego, right? To yeah. defend yourself. Yeah. Cause you, you want to like, if somebody, I don't know, you, you want to like your side to be heard, but really who yeah. cares? Just. Just end it. <laughs> end the bad vibes. I don't know. So I highly recommend Eckhart Tolle. <laughs> I will check that out. I, I need to. Well, so on that note, do you, do you have any words you live by? I would say maximize the spectacularness of life. is something I've always tried to live by. Get the best of all worlds. And no matter what you're doing, figure out how it can be better. <laughs> If people want to sign up for a diva dance with you, buy your book, or just connect, where can they find you? Bakermanning.com. <laughs> you can find all the things there. Um, my Instagram handle is bakermanning87. And that's also my my Facebook. Is, I have a Facebook page, Baker Manning. So yeah, just Baker Manning. You can find me in some form or fashion. <laughs> Thank you so much. You are amazing. And I absolutely love you. Love you too, (laughs) baby girl.
This is Paula Schmidt, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, ah, please share, leave a review. If you love fantasy, perhaps visit me at eveningskingdom.com and help support the show by devouring more stories from me, which are newly available via Kindle and also Audible. I'm especially pleased with The Never Sees, in which the eerie, obsessive traction between a restless young woman and a dangerous traveler tips into madness and revenge. (laughs) I hope you love it. Thanks for listening, and please stay tuned. The rest of the story is just down the road.